Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerdette Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except you don't even have to read the book if you don't want to. This month's selection is Susanna Clark's Piranesi. It's about Piranesi, a man who lives in a very strange house. That is all I'm going to say at the moment. Before we get started, this is your spoiler warning. If you have not read the book yet and you don't want to hear spoilers, come back when you have read the book. If you love spoilers and you haven't read the book, then welcome. We're glad to have you. Here to talk about this book with me are two of my very favorite writers. We have the author of Song of Achilles and Circe, Madeline Miller. Madeline, hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to have you. I feel like we should do a full disclosure right here and say that you did write a quote at the front of the book. So we know what your opinion is before (laughs) we even start. Yeah. Speaking of spoilers. (laughs) Exactly. We also have the author of another Nerdette Book Club pick, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, Victoria Schwab. Victoria, hello. Hi there. To be clear, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue is not your only book. We've made this joke before, but you have written like approximately 17 dozen books. (laughs) That's a a real number and a very accurate one. (laughs) We will also be hearing from some of you, dear listeners. Let's get a little preview of what that's going to sound like. Hi, Nerdette. This is Carrie from Boston. Bethany in Fresno, California. Lucy from Salt Lake City. It's Anne here from the Netherlands. Sarah from Chicago calling about Piranesi by Susanna Clark. This, this is weird. Oh, I don't know what to think of this book. It was a great uh, pandemic diversion. I read it in three days. I thoroughly enjoyed it and was not expecting to like it as much as I did. I loved everything about the world. One of my friends said it was such a ride and I agree. Thanks for the recommendation. So I love that because I feel like even within that, we have a pretty good spectrum of people being like, I don't know, it was super weird, but also like, this is amazing and magical. (laughs) So one thing we heard from several people is that it was hard to get into. I'm curious where both of you stand on that, but let's listen to Naomi's take on it. Really glad I kept with this one. I almost returned it to the library a few times. And I just realized last night that I flew through about 50 pages And I'm absolutely loving it now. And I really got sucked in. I'm not quite finished with it yet, but I'm really stoked to see how it ends. So, yeah, I feel like this one for a lot of people was kind of a tough start. Like it took a couple tries to get into it. I have a feeling that both of y'all were already Susanna Clark fans. Was that a problem for each of you, Madeline? You know, maybe on the first page, I just remember because the world of... um, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell is so immersive and so full. And so Mm -hmm. I had sort of this moment of recalibrating where I was like, okay, erase all that. We're in a completely other world. Um, And so it kind of took me, I I would say it was a recalibrating moment. But as Mm -hmm. soon as they started describing the statues, I was like, oh, we're going to (laughs) describe these statues. 
Okay. <laughs> and I, I, then it, I kind of got into it. Mm-hmm. Right. Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. That's Susanna Clark's first book, which came out 17 years ago. Yeah. It was a long time ago. It was a while ago. So I think it's fair to say that Piranesi was long awaited for fans of that one. Um, Victoria, what about you? Did it take you a while to get into or were you immediately, was it the statues that did it for you too? Well, it wasn't actually the statues, but it was the strangeness. I think Mm. I love the kind of story. I have a softness for the kind of story that makes demands of me as a reader quite Mm -hmm. early. I like like feeling like I'm being dropped into a Sherlockian style puzzle because (laughs) it means it's going to be, I mean, for better or worse, engaging by the nature of the story and the structure. Like by telling you so little up front, it's forcing you to walk through that house. It's forcing you to stick with it. And so I think... It's not that I was enamored by the first page. I was enamored enough of Susanna Clarke's, uh, you know, her debut novel to mm-hmm. kind of go with her wherever she went. But I, I was perplexed enough and curious enough to wander through the chapters with her. You're a puzzle person. Yeah, I'm a puzzle person. <laughs> <laughs> so Piranesi is about a guy. He's in his mid-30s. He lives in what he calls the house, which is also the world, which is a place where lots of nouns are capitalized. <laughs> um, it's huge. It has hallways in every direction. It's a labyrinth. There are oceans on the bottom floor. You can see the stars because there's no roof. There are giant statues, as you mentioned, Madeline. There are fish and birds. It's magnificent. It's also pretty inhospitable. But Piranesi seems to feel at home there, which I think is, I mean, it's just so fascinating on so many levels. Um, Speaking of what you were saying, Victoria, here's another voicemail. This is Allie. Hey, Nerdette. It's Allie from Chicago. I read Piranesi when it came out, and I really liked um, reading all the descriptions of the rooms and trying to visualize it and create a map in my head of the house as uh, the narrator was exploring it. All right. See you next month. Bye. I mean, I, I think that kind of speaks to something that you said in, in the blurb for the book too, Madeline, the idea that this is a house that you kind of want to go back to and like keep thinking about. Yes, I was totally drawn in. And I, I loved how she managed to create the house as this place that was felt so dreamy and unreal. And mm-hmm. also like, crucially real like the drying of the seaweed and like the specific halls and the specific statues that it 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 was grounded in this perfect I think sort of scene between this dream world and like the very real world of having to survive you know his shoes he goes through his shoes and he doesn't have shoes and he has to beg um for shoes and Mm -hmm. You know, I, I love I love that combination of sort of a world that's clearly a little fantastical, but also that is so rooted in detail, like granular detail. Yeah. So Piranesi lives alone, but he has company. There are the bones of 13 corpses about which he seems to feel quite fondly. There's also a living human who comes to visit now and then called the other. And that's where he gets shoes if he's lucky enough to get shoes. Um, the others, obviously, from somewhere else, he, you know, he wears modern day things that we would think of as like stuff you see in normal real life. I'm curious what y'all thought of the other, especially initially, because Piranesi speaks of him as if he's almost like a, a benevolent, omnipotent, you know, God or something. And and obviously that becomes so much more sinister over the course of the story. Uh, Victoria, what did you think of that? I was excited by his presence because as much as I love the story and its totality, I was a little worried early on that it was going to be kind of a pure allegory, that Mm. this thing was going to be unto itself. And so the intrusion of the other I picked up pretty quickly was 
an intersection with kind of our world. Mm -hmm. And that made me instantly more engaged because it told me, okay, this isn't the sum totality of the world. What this man is experiencing is something else. And so I felt like that intrusion kept me going at a point where I might've started to think, okay, is this just, just a nice story about statues? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That reminds me of something that Susanna Clark actually said in an interview on all things considered on NPR about Piranesi, which was that he has a clarity of spirit, but not necessarily an innocence, Mm -hmm. which I just thought was such an interesting way of describing him too, as he's sort of like, Picking up on stuff, but also not at the same time. It was just such a fascinating combination. Well, do you feel like that's kind of a weirdness as well, right? Because he's documenting this. And yet, so he has words for things, but he doesn't have the things. And I think Mm -hmm. having words for things without the things spoke to the fact that he had an existence before he ended up in the house. Yes. There's this moment where he's describing the smell in one of the corridors and he uses the word petrol. And, you know, it's like, but dude, you shouldn't know what that like. That's that doesn't exist in your world. And yet you have this vocabulary. It's fascinating. And I always love a novel where it's clear that the main character has sort of forgotten so much that I I mean, one of the eeriest moments is when he's reading his journals and realizing that he can't remember having written certain things. Mm -hmm. And that then he sort of feels like, you know, that the the dislocation between what he's able to remember and then what, you know, he's seeing in front of him. I mean, that's just such a narratively always pulls me right in. Um, is, you know, this, uh, this previous self has left a message for himself (laughs) that he's now discovering. Well, and what an amazing, fascinating conceit for like, I think about when I write my own journal, like looking back on it in the future sometime and like maybe flipping through it and seeing what I was going through or whatever. But I definitely have not thought of it in the context of like, what if I'm trapped in a labyrinth and I've forgotten who I really am and I need this to tell me what I need to know to survive? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Let's listen to another voicemail. Here is Anne Gret. Hey, Greta. It's Anne here from the Netherlands. I think Piranesi is one of my favorite book characters I've ever read. Uh, he's so sweet and warm and delightful. And uh, really, he's just just an amazing uh, person. I would like to be more like him. So that's it. Bye. Sweet and warm and delightful. I was kind of surprised by those adjectives. What do you think, Victoria? Yeah, I wouldn't have said that at all. But that's, I think, the fascinating thing about it is... I mean, he's an unreliable narrator who -hmm. becomes aware of the fact he's unreliable. And I think for me, that created a lot of distance, not in in a bad way, but as the, as the reader, I no longer felt aligned to him. Hmm. I felt like I was somewhere in between him and the house and the other trying to, as we talked about earlier, trying to unlock a puzzle, but I didn't necessarily feel aligned to him once I discovered that I couldn't trust his narration. Hmm. It's so fascinating because I think to a certain extent, like every element in this, like there is a nefarious aspect to everyone, right? Yeah. I mean, I, that's interesting. Cause I feel like I, I, I love what you just said, Victoria, about sort of feeling not aligned with him. Cause I, I do think that there, but that was part of what pulled me in. And I was like, wake up Piranesi. You have to see what's going on. You know, I, I, I sort of, that actually I felt like engaged me more in his story, although I think you're right that it, it creates this strong distance between the reader and him. Um, I mean, I saw him as more, I was very interested by that quote that you read um, that Susanna Clark said, because I, I did see him as more of an open-hearted, not an innocent, 
but as very open hearted that his his enjoyment, you know, I was reading this during the pandemic, and I felt like his Mm -hmm. enjoyment of the natural world was so pleasurable to read and so powerful, just the way he talked about birds. I, I really, I it pulled me in, you know, that, that I, I believe that these were his whole world and, and his enjoyment of that felt so pure and real and very welcoming. I think it, it created a really difficult and an impressive push pull with him yeah. because I did, I rooted for him, but I rooted for him to wake up because I didn't <laughs> ever feel like I, as the reader could get lost in his enjoyment because that nefariousness mm. was always on my mind. So mm. because I knew he wasn't actually, or I suspected he wasn't actually in a, a heaven place, a, an idyllic scape that he was trapped almost in his own mind and in his own self because of that, even for me, his moments of appreciation for the world around him had this tarnish of somebody lost within almost a dementia. Yeah, yeah, that's a really great way of putting it. Um, I definitely want to talk more about this book as a pandemic experience because I feel like there's a lot to unpack with that. But first, let's listen to a voicemail. Here's Carrie. Hi, Nerdette. This is Carrie from Boston. Um, I just finished Piranesi and uh, I don't know what to think of this book. I don't know what the message of this book is supposed to be. I, I don't know if, you know, <laughs> Clark is suggesting that we're all living in a prison of someone else's design, but this book just really bummed me out. I enjoyed reading it, but man, I, I felt really bad at the end of this one. I thought that was such an interesting take because, again, I get it, but. I don't know. I feel like both of you have alluded to the fact that, like, yes, there's a deep ominousness to this book, but there's also a a real grace and beauty there, too. Yeah, I think I'm I am slightly conflicted over this book, if you haven't been able to tell so far. And I sat with a lot with it for a long time because I have a lot of admiration for this book, but I wouldn't say that I enjoyed it. Hmm. And I think a lot as a reader about what I want out of a book. And for me personally, it's not always about enjoying it. It's about, I like to be a slightly different person when I've finished reading it. I like Mm. it to change me in some microscopic, if not monumental way. And so I don't think that Piranesi is a book that demands enjoyment, but I do think it can be, I mean, obviously a lot of people do enjoy it, but I think that there's something to the fact I was compelled while I was reading it, I had a very difficult time putting it down. I needed to get mm-hmm. to the end. I thought about it after it was done. All of these factors, which I would say added to my experience. But if you ask me to sum up my relationship to this book, I don't think I would say love or even enjoyment. Hmm. Well, I think I think in in some sense, um, this goes a little bit back to Victoria, what you were saying before is you're feeling all the malevolence around Piranesi and and sort of seeing all the all the the corruption the cruelty that is existing um you know the book does not pull any punches about that at all and yet I sort of ended up feeling hopeful and actually the relationship between Piranesi and James Ritter mm. um who's a sort of a minor character who has sort of been abused and and has a relationship to the house but has gone out of the house and I just, I felt like that, you know, that they emerged, you know, and they emerged with questions and no answers, but that they emerged together. Um, and I found that, I found that very moving. And so I sort of wanted to go back 
Um, I would read a whole novel just about James Ritter <laughs> and his experience. Yeah, also. yeah. Um, but that, in some sense, that was sort of where where the hope the hope was is is in you know, and also Sarah, who's a major character who comes in at the end mm-hmm. um, to to help Piranesi is sort of these these moments of kindness within this malevolent world. Yeah, if anything, I think I was most frustrated by the fact that it felt like the the world building like the first two thirds or whatever was incredible and so detailed and I was completely with it but then once we got to the like oh the real world exists and here are these other people and they can come in and out and there's this teacher and like the police and blah it was like that felt very rushed to me comparatively and I think I could have used a little more backstory a little more time with that as opposed to it sort of felt like, okay, we're just going to, we're just going to wrap this up, you know? I agree. But at the same time, and this is the thing, this is my madness with Susanna Clark is even <laughs> when I get frustrated with a creative choice, I then can devil's advocate myself in the creative choice. And so, I mean, there is something to be said for how jarring that intrusion of the outside world onto the house Ooh, and onto yeah. is like, it was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable because we were given so much time to luxuriate Mm-hmm. in all of the minutia and details of the house that it almost felt like a break-in. It almost felt like, wait a second, this is not comfortable. This is not the story that you promised me like when I was luxuriating over those descriptions of the statues. So I had the same feeling and I can admire it. And this is where I get so messed up because I can <laughs> admire it even though I admire it as a writer, even though as a reader, I, I would have liked a better balance. Mm-hmm. But then I can, like I say, I argue myself out of it. I am very deeply, deeply conflicted. <laughs> yeah, well, that's I mean, that is the perfect like it to your point. It should be disruptive. You know, can I just ask both of you? Because I, I can't remember. Yeah. I'm trying to remember when exactly last year I read this book. And I do want to. This is a book I will go back and read once the pandemic is over, because I I also do think this is the kind of story that depending on where your headspace is during this dark time, uh, the before times and the after times and the Mm -hmm. between times, I think it could really either provide shelter from that psychological storm or really just deepen that psychological Mm. storm. I think I was very unsettled by it, Mm. but I read it at a time when I was very unsettled by everything. And so I think because of that, I latched on to the ominousness. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I I don't know. I guess just based on your blurb, Madeline, and the fact that you said you already want to be back in its haunting and beautiful halls that you maybe are a little closer to, to how I feel about it, which is that I am kind of delighted that I have that place in my head, you know, especially over the course of a year when I my move, my own movement and experiences were so limited. I think to be able to picture like, yes, obviously it sounds brutal and I wouldn't actually want to live there, but there's something deeply relatable about being in a place where you're kind of going through the same stuff every day and like, what the fuck is time? (laughs) But it's also, you're connected to smaller details in a way that you maybe wouldn't have been if you were living a normal life, you know? Yes, yes, that there's a there, there's a surrender to to the world that it for me, it felt like the book was moving at a different speed than the rest of the world around me. And I had to slow down in order to read the book. And then reading the book itself did not feel slow. I was completely gripped and flipping pages, but that it was just asking for sort of a slower brain mode 
Um, it wasn't something that I could read skimming and distracted. I needed to really sink in mm -hmm. fully to the world. But I, I think you're totally right that it would be interesting to go back and read it in a year from now and sort of see how it strikes me. For me, it felt like a haven, even, even despite mm -hmm. all the ominousness and, and the sort of cruelty, the world being just being in Piranesi's head. I, I, I liked his sort of, going through this journey with him felt very soothing, even though it was disturbing as well. But I'd be interested if, if, if I felt differently a year from now, sort of if I, if I instead connected more to this the kind of frightening aspects. Hmm. I wonder if I might be too impatient for it. Hmm. You know, like I, I think, cause I actually, I listened to the audiobook, So it wasn't until it actually came out. So it would have been September, which I don't know. I feel like my brain was, was uh, calibrated more closely to pandemic life by September than it was a year ago. And so I was just like, oh, yeah, cool. Like, I can just meander around in this space and just kind of let it wash over me. Like, I don't know, a year from now, things might be moving a lot faster. We'll see. I mean, if you're right, though, Malin, it's a, it's a, a text which requires immersion. Like, you can't yes. read it with half of your attention. You can't mm -hmm. give it anything but your entire attention. I think I read it probably last May at a time when, you know, yeah. I had just, you know, moved to France with my family, but thought I would be leaving anytime now, anytime right. now, like every day I was just kind of checking. And so I read it while in a really restless place. Yeah. And I think it, it, I strained against it in that way. I got frustrated with Paranasi himself. I, I had these stories. And so I just think, I just, I bring it up because I think it's so important that sometimes a book can be the right book at the wrong mm -hmm. time. Right. Mm -hmm. That is mm -hmm. so true. I, I feel like that there are books that I read and I, I hit them in the wrong moment or in the wrong frame of mind and they just bounce right off. And then I, I go back to them and try them again. And I think, oh my gosh, how could I have missed this the first time around? Yeah. It was funny looking back through the book to prepare for this conversation and being reminded of the, the way Piranesi writes dates. Mm -hmm. For example the 30th day in the 12th month in the year of weeping and wailing to the fourth day of the seventh month in the year I discovered the coral halls. <laughs> that to me is like, oh, I could be doing pandemic journal entries like that, right? <laughs> Where it's like <laughs> the 30th day since the last time I cried too hard and the day I realized a pint of ice cream is three servings and not four, <laughs> you know? Now I think I might, I think I would actually like to listen to it now because mm. I, I probably half the books I read in a year I listen to. Mm -hmm. It's just a really deeply different experience for me. Like I have tried books both ways, served yeah. both ways, and I love them both ways, but I definitely could, wouldn't say I have the same experience of a book both ways. So, and it just won the audiobook of the year. It did. Yeah, for Chiwetel Ejiofor, right? Yes, yes. An amazing narrator. And so I think I would like to go back in with somebody else's voice in my head. Yes. That makes total sense. Because, yeah, as as an audiobook, it was just sort of like you're just along for this weird ride, you know? And I was totally happy to be there. It completely worked for me. Um, let's take a quick break, and then we will discuss more about all of the things. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. 
and listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Madeline, I was curious to ask you, I mean, obviously this book has such deep roots in the classics. And since you are a classicist, I was wondering if there were any aspects of the house, especially, or the story that you picked up on that you think us normals may have overlooked. <laughs> um, well, what I think what I loved about about the book is actually how none of it was really rooted specifically in any particular mythology, but it was this... Um, hmm you know, the house represented this shore where ideas from all over have, have washed up. And so I loved that there were echoes in, in the, I mean, in a way it felt, some of the imagery felt closer to something like tarot than it did to, to Greek mythology. Um, the, some mm-hmm. of the statues. And so I, I just loved that it had entirely its own logic and its own mythology. And, and each of those statues to me felt like a poem. I felt like there are so many different mm-hmm. meanings here, you know, and there's not one meaning that you can pin it to, although there are clearly sort of things you can lean into, but we can, there's just, there was this kaleidoscopic quality to it where um, there are so many deep layers of meaning. And I'm, I'm just, as an, as a writer, I'm really impressed. I, Cause I think that's really hard to do to sort of, gesture to layers of meaning without pinning it on one um so as a just as a writer i loved reading things like the statues because i feel like they're such feats of of writing Mm, that's so beautiful now victoria i know you've done your fair share of of ancient greek and latin and stuff what did you think yeah i mean what again coming back to the puzzles of it right is i felt like each of those statues was a clue and mm-hmm. I mean, there were allusions to uh, Narnia, there were allusions to, to other works, there were the figureheads became as, as Malin said, almost tarot in an archetypal sense. Yeah, I felt like I was studying yeah. them the way I mean, my backgrounds in art history, and I felt like I was actually taking a tour of a hall of statues and trying to understand them and try get it. I think that was one of the times I liked Paranese as a character most was in him developing a relationship to these inanimate people mm-hmm. because he does it with the bones and then to watch him do it with the statues, he treats them like humans. He engages with them, not as with uh, a stone statue, but as if he has emotional attachments to each of them. Which again, I think speaks to not only, I mean, it's beautiful, it's lovely, but it's also kind of heartbreaking, right? Cause it's like, of course he would. That's literally all he has. Yeah. It's deeply sad. I, I found it to be a very melancholy character. Like, but there's a purity that comes with melancholy, right? He's There's an innocence mm-hmm. in his present. I mean, not to bring it back to like this concept of dementia, but there is a really strange innocence that comes in the forgetting of a self. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. I think those those moments where he's interacting with them are are so filled with sadness because of how limited it is and also so beautiful. And I, I guess I, I really read this as sort of a, a story of, of, in a way, I mean, deep trauma, you know, he's, he's been kidnapped, he's been deprived, and then he's been, you know, literally had the fact that he's been kidnapped and deprived erased from his brain. And so 
I, I, I was really connecting to sort of the depth of, in some ways, even though I read it as a very positive, <laughs> you know, I, I felt very positively about reading it. I felt like it dealt so seriously with, um, with resilience in the face of just absolute crushing, you know, loss and, and, and abuse. Um, and I think that's, that's, yeah. you know, there was this central tension for me between, between his, his incredible resilience, but what he has to kind of sacrifice in order to have that resilience. Let's listen to another voicemail that reminds me of here's Ashley. Hi, Nerdette Book Club. This is Ashley from Mundelein, Illinois, and I'm so excited that the book this month is Piranesi. I liked how in the end, people who had been quote unquote rescued from the house still miss it and find comfort when they come back. It reminded me of hearing stories from former inmates who find it hard to be in the outside world after they are released. Life is so complicated. You can live in a stressful or traumatic environment, but once you're out of it, you can still miss the parts of it you did love or found comfort in. I'm looking forward to hearing everyone else's thoughts. Have a great day. I think that speaks exactly to what you were saying too, Madeline. I mean, it's 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 heartbreaking, but I think it's also kind of a lovely sentiment. Yeah. And very complex. Yeah. So, Victoria, speaking of identity and memory, yeah. uh, someone sent in a voicemail comparing this book to Addie LaRue, which is such a pleasure. <laughs> I don't think that's ever happened where someone has like sneakily predicted who a panelist might be. I love um, right? Let's take a listen and then we'll talk about it. Here's Sarah. Hi, Internet. This is Sarah from Chicago calling about Piranesi by Susanna Clark. One thing I noticed was that some parallels between this and the invisible life of Addie LaRue, um, the notions of identity and memory and, you know, in Addie's case, who are you if, if no one remembers you? And then in this case, who are you if you don't remember yourself? Loved it. Uh, looking forward to your next pick. It's a beautiful question. Do you think that struck you particularly as you read it, Victoria? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's amusing on solitude and loneliness and mm -hmm. and a kind of depressing independence, like an, an unchosen independence, right? Mm -hmm. Something that you don't select for yourself. And it's funny, because when I was working on Addie LaRue, I, I thought about memory and, and how we forget ourselves. And I was thinking about Peter Pan a lot and this idea of this innocence born out of forgetfulness of yourself. And I thought, that's sad, but how much sadder is it to be forgotten by everyone else and have a sense of yourself? And so I think there's a really mm -hmm. interesting dynamic there in Piranesi as a character of, I think a lot of that illusion of innocence that we see in him, a lot of that almost like naivete mm -hmm. or just a, almost a whittling down to the most essential pieces um, is almost an inverse of Addie. Yeah, it really is. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it that way, but it absolutely is. And then, I don't know, I mean, it reminds me, too, of something that you said when I interviewed you about Addie, which is that so much of what you wanted that book to be about and what your pandemic life has been about is defiant joy and the idea of of finding tiny pleasures in life, even when it's inevitably devastating. And I don't know, I mean, I think it's kind of interesting to think about Piranesi in that context, too, because, I mean, I don't know if he's necessarily joyful, but he definitely seems to have a distinct fondness for that place that I think is is really gorgeous. And a persistent resolve. I mean, for someone who 99% of the time lives with only himself for company, that takes an incredible internal strength to do. 
Mm-hmm. And and while obviously it erodes him in certain ways uh, um, mentally, the fact is he persists. And I do think if not, if not joyful, I, I mean, it, it's incredibly flattering to me, the thought that these two books can exist in a kind of conversation mm-hmm. about the, the resolve to survive. Yeah, I think it's really beautiful. I'm trying to find it. There's a line. Oh, here we go. Um, where towards the end, when Piranesi is talking about interacting with other humans and he says perhaps that's what it's like being with other people perhaps even people you like and admire immensely can make you see the world in ways you'd rather not i love that so much isn't it beautiful just thinking of you know how uh, how inherently disappointing it can be to spend time with other people even when you do really think they're wonderful people and you know when they challenge you to think about things in different ways I think about that a lot just as a deeply introverted independent person especially when we're writing characters so often the way that we think about them and give them complexity is through the lens of other people how they interact with other people and how how other people see them and it's almost a mirror system reflecting back and it's a deeply frightening thing to take away all of those mirrors, but what you're left with is the truest self. And mm-hmm. that's, there's a kind of purity in knowing, I mean, who are you when you're not performing in some sense? And who are you when you don't have the input and the influence and the input and the influence and the company can be such wonderful things, but they do move you from where you would be if you were alone. Yeah. Well, I think that's the purity of, you know, just like if it's just you and birds and fish and bones and you're just counting the tides, I think there is something kind of beautiful about that. Yes, he he's and I love how you're highlighting his strength. I I think that that absolutely comes through. And, you know, he, he feels like an artist. He doesn't necessarily create, you know, art. Like he's not writing a book, although he is writing these documents, but he's, he's constantly trying to create meaning. And in that sense, I feel like, you know, that's what we're all trying to do. We're trying to interpret the world around us and create meaning from it. Absolutely. So both of you have written books that involve magic sort of superimposed onto the quote unquote real world. I think that's fair to say. Um, I mean, I think with Greek mythology, it's a little different just because there seemed, you know, it's <laughs> it's Greek mythology. <laughs> but I'm curious what each of you found appealing about the way Clark constructed her world where you think you start in something that is completely magic and and farcical, but that there are elements of real life in it. I think you kind of hinted at this a little bit earlier, Victoria. Yeah, I was because I've already hinted at. I'll go f- quick and I'll make it. I'll go first and I'll make it quick. Um, I just yeah, I love it because for me, the stories that appeal to me most are those that exist at an intersection of fantasy and reality. Mm. From the simple, very selfish notion that I want to believe that magic is real, I want to believe that yep. I can step across the boundary if I just find the door, you find the door, yeah, or the curtain, wherever it is. And I think that's one of the reasons I have such a hard time connecting with the more Tolkien style fantasy is because there's a melancholy that sweeps over me when I realize that a world I'm reading about will only ever exist for me in a fictional place. I think some Mm -hmm. part of me ever since childhood into my adulthood has always deeply wanted to believe that I can find a doorway. And I think stories like this tell you that there is a doorway. 
Yes, I'd love, I mean, I love that part. I also love that scene, the scene between, between reality and, um, and, and a magical world. And I, I love characters that move between those worlds. I mean, I, I always enjoy writing about characters that kind of have a foot in, in two worlds. And I think Susanna Clark is, mm-hmm. is drawn to that. And we see that there are characters who move between worlds also in Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell who move from sort of our world or a world that is like ours, but also has fairies and magic into the world of fairy and into sort of other mirror worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it makes sense to me that now we're sort of, and we see characters go into those worlds and, and come back, but we remain in Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell rooted in kind of our world. And so I love that in this one, she, we all go into the mirror world. We go into the, into the mm-hmm. other world. It's, it's an inversion kind of. Yeah. So before I let you two go, I am curious if for people who read Piranesi and was like, I need more of this in my life. I think you get to pick whatever the this is in that instance. But I'm curious if either of you has a recommendation for something that that I don't know, feels similar or has a similar sense of place or whatever it is. Let's start with you, Madeline. I am in love with the book Transcendent Kingdom by Yad Yassi. Mm. There's no magic in it except for Mm -hmm. the fact that I think that the main character is really looking for wonder. Um, And, Mm -hmm. and she's, it's, she's sort of dealing with her, her mother who is in a deep depression. She's a scientist, but she also has this background in faith and she sort of is struggling between the worlds of her, um, the world of science and and the world of faith um, in the context of her relationship with her mother, but also it's about a million things more than that. Um, That's incredibly reductive. And I I think I also love that the narrator has this just absolutely elegiac, beautiful clarity in the way she talks. I mean, I believe she's a scientist in the way she talks, Mm. but there's this beautiful poetry to it. So I love the narrator's voice. That's always what pulls me in. Wow. That sounds great. What about you, Victoria? That was so elegant and articulate that I know. <laughs> I was just going to give you a title, but sure. Uh, I would go with, and again, it's that kind of thing where this, the book I'm going to recommend is completely dissimilar, mm-hmm. but I think that there's something about it from a captivation. And that would be how much of these hills is gold by C. Pam Zhang, mm-hmm. which is a historical tale about two children um, of an immigrant in the wake of the gold rush mm. and separated into parts and the perspective changes in ways I did not expect. Mm. And I found it was the kind of story that I can't completely unquantifiable for me. I'm not huh. sure. Like it's probably in the same way a book like Paranasia is going to have lovers and haters and everything mm-hmm. in between. But for me, I listened to it. And for the day and a half I was listening to it, it's because it went with me everywhere. Like I just could not stop listening to it. I love that. That's a great recommendation. And because both of you are too gracious to do it, I will do it and say, if y'all liked Piranesi, you should absolutely read pretty much everything that Madeline Miller and Victoria Schwab have written because I feel like there's a lot of shared DNA. I mean, that's incredibly flattering to think of, but thank you. (laughs) Yes. So speaking of things being unquantifiable, I am going to ask you to quantify your reading experience of Piranesi. I'm thinking we choose something arbitrary every time. I'm thinking this time around we should do corpses because there were 13 corpses. So if you and I like let's assume corpses are good things, right? Because they're nice company. So between one and 13 corpses, 
Victoria, how many would you give this book? I would give this book nine and a half corpses. You can decide <laughs> half which half of the corpse. I was gets just going to ask. <laughs> well, I would say that's a solid rating. I don't know how I feel about a half corpse, but we'll go with it. What do you think, Madeline? Isn't isn't one of the corpses among? It's just a bundle. Maybe it's the nine, and then the oh, maybe it's the bundle, the box. Exactly, it's nine and a bundle of bones. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I'm so glad you're just rolling with this. It's perfect. (laughs) Oh, um, I I I'm right around there with you. I'm right around there with you. I I think I think I I think I might go for ten and a half 10 and a bundle, <laughs> and a bundle. <laughs> yeah I also like 10 in a bundle I think and I don't know Victoria you might have talked me out of some of my frustration actually so I'll go up to 11 because <laughs> um, I do think it I think it is a real feat what she pulled off in this book and I don't know just the fact that we managed to have such a great conversation about it even though we came from such different places with our experience with it I think says a lot about what a great book it is really you know yeah 100 percent. yeah oh you know what i lied we have one more question which actually came from a listener here's liz hey it's liz from minnesota i really want to know would people make the same choice that piranesi did at the end because sometimes i wonder would i want to stay in a world all by myself which in a way is what we've done but having no memory of it I don't know. I really like the choice that Piranesi made at the end. But at the same time, I don't know if I would have done the same. If I would have wanted to remember and also feel so separated. Thanks. Bye. What do you think? I would. I I, I think I would. Because in the end, you don't want to just live with the, the shadows of the world. You got to get out of the cave. Yeah. Also, it's that enlightenment theory, right? Once you know... You, it's the house is not a house, the house anymore. You yeah. know, like once you know what's outside the house, you can't just stay in the house. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, it reminds me actually of my high school yearbook quote, which was from Brave New World, which is that like I want danger and freedom. Like you can't have one without the other, right? You have to. I love that that was your yearbook quote. That's nothing surprising to me <laughs> whatsoever. I was reminded of that last weekend, and just like, well, I come by honest. Like it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's something there like like writers what what were you know like what, what were people's yearbook I feel like that's I that would be very interesting to see because there's such a it's such a it's so personal and so performative at the same mm-hmm. time and I feel like you can choose to go in either direction or both <laughs> yeah I mine was definitely like a Baudelaire quote so I feel like <laughs> it's not surprising that I was like let's do a half a corpse <laughs> What was yours, Madeline? I, I had a Sylvia Plath quote and I, people were like, were like, oh, that's so, she's so dark. And I was like, not like, that was not, I was, I was like, no, it's just about being neurotic. That's all this quote is. <laughs> well, Victoria, Madeline, may the beauty of your house be immeasurable and its kindness infinite. Thank you. That was such a delight. All 
right. Hope you enjoyed that discussion. Our April book club pick is a short story collection called Office of Historical Corrections. It is by Danielle Evans, and it is one of my favorite books from last year. So I'm very excited to see what y'all think of it. Read it and then send us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks to all of you who called in this month. We got an abundance of voicemails, and I love that there was such a variety of opinions. The show is produced by me and Isabel Carter. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. We will see you in April. Why did I do it so weird? Who knows? Okay, bye. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.